Navigating the Datascape with Warner Chavez and special guests. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. Today, I'm going to talk all about customer engineering. What is customer engineering? What does it look like? What are the issues that customer engineers work to solve every day? And with me, I have a man that knows all about this and more, Mr. Brian Kinlaw. Brian, how are you today? I'm pretty good. How about you? I am doing fantastic. And Brian, for people that are not familiar with your trajectory, can you give us a background of how you came to be a customer engineer at Pythian? Well, I started as customer engineer for a company called IBM. I was there for a number of years, probably eight years. Oh, uh, quite a bit. Nine, eight years. Okay. Eight years. And then uh, the next place that I went was a company called DXE. And I was there for about four and a half years before I got recruited to join Google. And I uh, joined Google for two years. And then uh, one of the guys that worked with me at DXC recruited me to come join Pythian. Were you, Pythian obviously is a data focused company. Were you in your previous customer engineering roles also data focused? Or was it in, in some other area? Always been focused on data and analytics. Uh, I think okay. my, my very first, uh, ex I, how I got started, in that was actually i worked for a company called cognos oh um, yes of course out, yeah before they got bought out by ibm which is how i ended up at ibm oh i see i see so um so my role in that organization was actually to install and set up uh customer environments so my job was to basically roll in first with customers uh, sit down, understand what the what the playing field was, what they were looking to do, and then make sure that I un understood everything about it in order so that we could have a successful implementation of BI within their within their environment. And a lot of companies didn't know how to spell BI. Mm. My job was to basically take them from the beginning to the end. That set me up well for what, for what we do as customer engineers, which honestly, it's just the rare skill of being able to be comfortable with technology and with people. Uh, you know, you get to sit down and and you become that from a sales perspective, you're the technical glue that holds it all together. Mm -hmm. you, know, you walk in, you're a customer engineer, you introduce yourself and your job, believe it or not, it, it's different than a salesperson's job. Uh, your job is to be a technical advocate. That's what you're doing. You are you are representing the customer when the customer is not in the room to the rest of the company. And you're making sure that the customer gets what they would want if you were the customer. Um, so that's how I see it anyways. That's, and, and it, 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 you know, I think people have different words for the same thing. Okay. Field engineer. I've heard. Okay. Yes. I've heard that term as well. The customer engineer is the technical half of a sales team and partnership where the salesperson is kind of the, they're in charge of the rep of the relationships, the personal relationships, mm. but this E is, uh, is in charge of the technical relationships and the second level product discussions, like anything that will help uh, the sales process. You know, we exist to close the deal and make the next deal process uh, effectively, uh, meaning that, you know, we set it up. Like, so first step is phase one, second step is phase two. Part of getting from phase one to phase two and moving an organization to the entire trajectory is, is being able to narrate that, being able to, uh, provide that glue that walk that walk mm -hmm. one from one to do to the next to do and makes them want to come back for more. 
So how how much would you say this customer engineer role, like you said, some people might have heard about or implemented it as field engineer, for example, how much would you say is your tech chops versus just your ability to listen and communicate as well? Uh, it's, uh, uh, so in terms of what we do on a daily basis, I could say that our, our, our day is broken up into three different things. So obviously, you know, we work with the sales team. Um, the second thing that we're doing when we're not in front of a salesperson, uh, in front of a customer, trying to make a good impression is we got to be proficient at what we do. So we spend a lot of time with self-training, figuring out mm -hmm. what it is and what is necessary in order to have a, a form, a, a point of view that's accurate about what a customer needs. And you have to do that from their perspective, meaning that if you're talking to a manufacturing representative, you, not, you need to have representative examples of what we've done that's related to what they, that they're interested in doing. If you're talking to a, uh, to a hotel operative, he doesn't want to hear or she doesn't want to hear anything that has to do with uh, the example that you came up with for the grocery store that you're working with as well. Mm -hmm. They have to be specific. Um, post-sale, your job is to maintain that customer relationship um, because once you close the deal and you walk away, half of the deals can come unglued if you don't stay involved. If you, if the customer doesn't view you as their advocate and doesn't want to bring you into conversations at the, at, at the end of the process, then I don't know what else your role would be I mean, because you are literally, um, you know, their first step into doing business with Pythian. So after they decide that they want to do business with Pythian, your job is to also stay engaged and provide oversight. Okay, this is interesting. And so do you think, or do you, uh, you know, people that might be listening to this, we get a lot of people that listen to this, that uh, listen to our podcast, that are either already in the IT industry or they are looking to break into the IT industry. Like, what are some of those main qualities that you would uh, recommend for people to cultivate if they are interested in this in this role? Because I, I find it is a role that is very nice because it mixes both the human and the technology part, right? So what are some of those qualities that you'd say people should cultivate if this is something that appeals to them? I think the main thing that they have to perfect is the art of, uh, of listening. Um, yeah. And the and that is that's difficult for people who are who are designed to have opinions, right? Because that's mm -hmm. supposed to be technical people with opinions. Mm -hmm. so very hard on occasion to. But the thing that you're listening for that's different is you're not listening to the technology that's involved. I mean, yeah, you can be the expert on that, but you have to remember that the customer is the expert on what they need, uh, even if they don't know how to articulate it as as effectively as they might need to. Mm -hmm jobs to help them and 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 listen to them and and play it back for them in a way that they agree that this is what they wanted and and the other trick to that is that uh, sometimes instead of suggesting what they want instead of suggesting to them what the solution to their problem is if you ask the right questions you can get them to suggest what the what the what the solution to the problem is and once they suggest it that means they understand it if they understand it then that means they want to do it and you have to remember that no matter how eloquent you are at speaking to a customer, um, if you can't get behind the business reason and the rationale for why they need to do it and why there's an urgency uh, tied to it, and uh, then there's no objective and no real reason, no um, no way to create 
uh, you know, the purpose that you need to create in order to, in order to have a winning deal. Uh, mm -hmm. it has, it has, everybody has to have a sense of purpose. And if there is no sense of purpose other than this is cool and you'd like to do it, that, that deals fall apart uh, because there's no way to measure success. Yeah. And this is a common issue with IT in particular, right? There's like the shining object syndrome where sometimes people just want to move into something or do a transformation into something or implement something because it's new, right? And then once you start to peel off like the onion, you find that there's really little justification for what the client might be trying to do other than the fact that it's new and they feel like they go into the new thing, right? Uh, I don't know if you've seen that as well, but it's something that I've seen during pre-sales. Um, it, you're describing something that I think is a chronic problem within the organization, within the, when you lead um, with technology. Exactly, yes. Yeah, if you, if you lead with, you know, um, with, you know, what is going on from a business perspective, I tell people all the time, there are 10 million different ways you can improve a data warehouse. Um, and there are different people with different opinions on what the on what those are, and what those are, and and everyone's right from their perspective. But the thing that matters most is that the, the, regardless of what tool you want to implement or the technology that's the latest and the greatest, if you can't get behind or understand when an or, in an organization what the decision process is that leads the, the the information to you. And what the decision process is after you leave the after you add your part to the to the information and send it on, if you don't understand those two decision processes, then you're not really making much of a difference. You have to bring everybody in the room. You have to have that conversation where you're you might be talking to the manager of a department who's responsible for achieving certain outcomes, but you have to not just talk to that manager. You have to talk to the managers that work with that manager. You have to talk to all of the departments that are involved with the information chain that you're trying to help populate or else you'll never figure out where the, where the, um, you never figure out what the problem is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's, I'm joking there, but it's true. You have to understand the problem from everyone's perspective, not just the per perspective of the, of the immediate problem that you're there to solve. Cause you in solving their problem could, could create another bottleneck for somebody else. So uh, obviously then just based, based on what you've spoken so far, you must have, uh, after so many years of doing this, you must have already your pre-sales process or workflow built in when you get a, or you're assigned to a new op. Can you can you walk us through that? Like, what is that? What does that process or, or uh, workflow look like for you when you get a new opportunity? The first thing that I, I ask is, do they have an understanding of the not just the technical landscape, but the business landscape. And there are two different discussions that need to occur simultaneously if possible. And those discussions lead into um, a process wherein, you know, not only are we analyzing what is being said uh, to the, from the customer's perspective, but we're understanding the, the entirety of their process. We start by understanding from a business perspective what their plans are. We understand their methodology and how they solve for the problems that exist in their environment. And then we can divide out um, into different work streams. In some cases, what you're dealing with is a data focused work stream. In other cases, what you're dealing with is a cloud, um, uh, uh, some sort of cloud based work stream associated with the migration process. There are lots of different uh, processes that, that you would need to understand depending on the subject area. 
And once you kind of do your own assessment, kind of a of a as is it, uh, of of their current environment, followed by a future. You know, what what are the things that we'd like to gain? What are the capabilities that we'd like to gain and gain in the future? Then you've you've kind of gotten your your assessment of what you need to do, but you still need to come up with a success plan, a way to measure success. Because one of the worst things you can do is show somebody that you know how to do something and they believe you and then start doing it for them. And then you get to the point where you're ready to leave and ready to move on and they're not done yet because mm-hmm. they never agreed on what done yet looks like. So having a success plan and a roadmap for what phase one looks like versus phase two versus phase three and, you know, medium, I call them um, medium term, which is three years um, and long term, which is longer than that. So the, the, the short term is obviously the immediate, what we're going to do right now, but you do need to understand what the medium term is as well as what the long term is. Cause maybe it makes sense to no, do nothing right now, but you know, with the, with the, with the expectation that you'll do the migration in three years or, or by the end of three years, the entire estate will be migrated to cloud or, and, and beyond that, what is the goal? Why are we doing this? Well, you know, maybe what we want to do is we want to set up an environment that is uh, that has data democracy and has a lot of ability for 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 ordinary people to look at the environment from an information marketplace perspective and just want to walk in like like it's a retail store you know they yeah. want to they want to check out the data that they're interested in um and they want it to be cleaned and, and massaged and already ready for them to explore without them having to know everything there is about data wrangling uh so that they can get to the meat of the matter and make decisions so in your, you know, this is a, a personal preference, but obviously we're talking about this, you know, how you go in with this process and you learn about clients and you know, not just the technical side of their problems, but the business side as well. If, for your personal preference, do you rather have more exposure to different ops, different verticals, different clients, or do you prefer to you know, grab onto a large client and then really dig into, you know, the problems and really be able to do a, a real transformation of a particular business. Like, wh- which one do you like the most? I think there's two different options. There's two different plays, uh, or three technically. So the first play is that of a solution architect. The solution architect understands the, the like, like if I have a specialty and my specialty is data and analytics. Mm-hmm. From a vertical perspective, I understand everything there is to know all the different tools that are out there and how they relate to one another and what the pros of one and what the cons are of another. That's the that's your SME. That's your subject matter expert. Then you have the uh, I would call them typically the, they would be called um, principal architects. Mm-hmm. So a principal architect is a person that is aligned with the overall strategy associated with a particular uh, industry. Like for example, you might know all the different ins and outs of moving uh, of moving oil from the ground and into the uh, in, into the gasoline tank of your car. You know the excavation of it, uh, everything up, everything um, everything from that point, everything in the supply chain that goes along to getting the car the oil the uh, the gasoline that's in the in the tank of your car. There are people that, that just really understand that entire process from an IT perspective and everything it takes to make every even the cash registers run in a gas station, as well as the uh, as well as the operation of extracting the oil from the ground. So 
that is what I would call a principal architect. Okay. And then, and then the third line is where you just develop a point of view and you're a generalist and you just kind of have, you kind of understand, you know, you got your, your person that knows the industry really well. And then you got your person that knows the technology really well. And you're somewhere in between depending on your customer accounts. And, and that's kind of the role I play. I see. I see. And, and, you know, some of that I, I asked you before, um, was, you know, have you been always into the data and analytics space? Because obviously you can do customer engineering for many different things, right? In terms of the tech stack, right? It could be customer engineering for all, all sorts of different types of applications. What What is it about the data and analytics side that, you know, you decided to pursue it and obviously you still enjoy it until today? I think that it's 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 really where so my background uh, like when i was in college when i first started uh this this journey um i what i found is that i started out as a as an actual engineer i was studying mechanical engineering in college okay. and and what happened was that at some point I realized that you know every time there was a test that had to do with a computer, the whole you know engineering team was in my room, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, trying to figure out how to use my computer because I was one of the only ones that had one. Um, and at some point, um, I translated that into taking a basic class, uh, Intro to Data Processing, and I barely attended the class, and I got I started getting straight A's. And when that all happened, I began to realize that I just had a natural aptitude. I really enjoyed doing this. And because I really enjoyed doing this, I've always gravitated towards data information um, and making it simple for other people to understand how they're important and what they and what we need to do in order in order to make better decisions. So from that, you know, it you know, logically, I just ended up at places where uh, where people were the were, were the that were renowned for doing that. At one point, it was Cognos. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, at another point in my life, it was uh, it was Google, and and what I what I learned about working for an entity like a you know that's renowned for certain things is that um, you know that the reason they're successful is because they because everything's cookie cutter. The reason that I really wanted to work here um, at Pythian is because this is one of the few organizations that out that's out there that actually thinks the way I think, meaning that, you know, you have a different data platform for every uh, type of customer. There are some people that are Microsoft centric. There are some people that are AWS centric. There are others that are Google centric. Mm -hmm. Knowing how to discern what the best platform is for the organization um, is great. But if you're working at an organization where no matter what, <laughs> the, the platform that you should recommend is Google, um, that becomes very difficult for you if you're actually familiar with all the other environments as well. And in those cases, you have to come in with already a decision that's kind of already made, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it doesn't have the same level of transparency or freedom as to be able to select what you truly believe is might be the best choice, right? Exactly. Um, and, and, and to your point, and since you have been in this role for quite a while, how have maybe, I want to say maybe like the last seven six years where cloud adoption has really exploded and the three main big cloud providers have emerged how much has that changed the role for you in terms of what you can do how much you have to keep track of etc cetera, etc cetera? 
So I'm going to date myself, but um, probably around two, I don't know, it was about 2011 was the very first time I began you know, to like focus in on what, what we call a big data problem. Okay. And the big data problem that I focused in on was it was, it was actually people would now call it social media. Um, and, but back then it was called Cognos consumer insight. And effectively what we did was we, we, we farmed, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and, and app and blog, anything that looked like a forum, uh, for information. So okay. There was an extractor that went around picking up phrases and what we, what it did was it analyzed and created an ontology of all the most famous, um, buzzwords that were being most used. Like at any point in time, Google has a list of, you know, what is the most accurate search term, uh, to define another search term that you use. So like if you put in a word, it'll, it'll, it'll recommend that the next word should be X, mm -hmm. how all that works. Well, um, back then we were trying to figure out what people thought about products and, and we were doing it without a focus group. So it became, it became the way we do that, the way we do things now in a modern day environment. Prior to that, everybody was using focus groups. They would bring, you know, throngs of people in, sit them in a room, ask them a bunch of questions and then write down their answers. Well, with, you know, with, with, with being able to grab things from, uh, you know, screen scrape from things from the internet, mm -hmm. uh, models actually became more accurate than the, than the, than the focus groups. So that was kind of the first, uh, the first, my first foray into it was actually studying social media and being able to grab um, the analytics associated with the particular topic and then interpret it for a marketing team. Um, that was my first use case. And I think we moved over to that. I joined the, something called the big data black belt team at IBM. Okay. And, and we were able to use Hadoop and, um, and we learned to leverage a lot of different uh, processes for different industries. Uh, we built healthcare applications. We built, um, uh, we built Watson, you know, what Watson is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and from that, I, I moved into more of a principal architect role when I moved over to a different firm called DXC. And, and in that role, what, what I, what I was able to learn is, is kind of how to string it all together, how to make it uh, not so, you know, Cognos or IBM centric, but how to use open source technology in order to seem achieve those same goals. Um, I became very, uh, you know, comfortable in the, in the, in, a, in an open source environment. And and not having to use mainstream applications, and from that, you know, I, the rest of it is history. Okay, I want I want to since I mean this is a little bit of a tangent from the main topic of today, but since you mentioned this, and you're a customer engineer, so I figured you probably have a strong opinion about this. Is today, you know, we're recording in uh, July 2022. How do you help customers navigate the decision of open source? versus proprietary software and the possible trade-offs that you do between one or the other, right? Because sometimes people say like, oh, well, this product is is free, but it's like free as in like a puppy is free, right? And it's, it's not really free. So, <laughs> so yeah. how, how, how do you navigate that or, or how do you help people 
um, decide what might be the best personal choice. And I and I and I'm I'm not an open source maximalist. I'm also not a minimalist. Like I think it it has its time and space. But sometimes it's really tricky to to find that time and space. Right. So so you have to explain to people the difference between build and buy. Really is really what it comes down to. You know, yeah, you can build it and 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 it's free. But it's really free if, if if it takes you six months to do something that somebody's already downloaded, somebody that you could download in six minutes. Uh, you know, if you if you if you understand the time value associated with getting the outcome that you want, or you need extensive customization in order to achieve your goals, even after you implement something that's out of the box, mm -hmm. then it makes sense to to go with open source because you get to influence um you know the product that you uh, that you want you get to customize it to your needs um and 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 beyond that like i said you get to influence you get to be um you know you are publicizing to the rest of the world what you've written what you've authored and you're adding it to the world's knowledge and the world is a better place for it and 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 a lot of people you know believe in that whole concept of of you know helping the rest of the world build a similar product you know, my biggest problem with that is that, you know, at the end of the day, you're, um, you, you have to learn a lot in order to, in order to provide, uh, that capability to your organization. Free is not free because yeah. the, you get somebody all trained up on everything there is to know about a particular, uh, deal. If you're lucky, um, uh, you know, it people stick around on average two years. Yeah, it's true. So, Trading up somebody like that in order to do uh, a very custom implementation of something, and having them disappear on you after they've written it, or in the or in, while they're in the process of writing it, uh, that's the reason why I kind of uh, you know you, you were saying that you're you're a minimalist. Um, I can see the pros and the cons of both, and and it it really does depend on what you're trying to do. I you know at the lowest level. If there's some sort of complex integration that needs to occur and needs to be highly customized, yeah, build it. But if if uh, if if somebody's already got something that's t-shirt sized and all you got to do is pop it on, try it out, and and see whether or not it'll work, um, you know, doing an MVP like that and getting to the destination that you wanted to get to much sooner is probably the better answer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Something else, obviously, your role, you touch and you have to interact with a lot of different parties, one of them being sales reps, which they, you know, uh, God bless them, they all run in a wide spectrum of personalities. Um, how do you deal with sales reps in general? Do you ever have any experience where you've had any sort of, um, you know, conflict or negative experience with a sales rep? How do you handle that? Because you know, you you're both working towards the same goal ultimately, but maybe you're trying to get there in different ways. Do you have any experience with that? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, salespeople come in two varieties, from my perspective, and I think in general, if you've been in a sales organization for a long time, you understand it. Um, there's hunters and there's farmers. Uh, you know, in other words, there's uh, there's people that. You know, they they go out and look actively for new logos, mm -hmm. um, new organizations that they want to um, uh, acquire and build out a portfolio. There's people that do that, and then there's people that you know we've already acquired this customer. Um, we you know they've been a customer with us for the last ten years. 
The reason they stay a customer is because we have people that are salespeople that are farmers that exist within that with that single customer as their focus. And what they do is every time there's a new opportunity, they see it within the organization and they sell into that opportunity. And then we uh, deploy. So we just, you know, we uh, it's called land and expand. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's what uh, that's what the farmers do for us. Um, as far as dealing with it from a difficult, like negative perspective, um, it's difficult sometimes you know, to remember that you know that you might know the technical answer to a problem um uh, or, or be able to recommend a solution right off the bat but the last thing you should do when you when you when you start a conversation with a customer is explain to them what the problem is mm. and having them explain the problem to you so being in a technical solution in a technical situation means that we um we need to really understand the purpose of what they're asking questions for there is no right answer there's a bunch of answers that are kind of sort of right the best answer, though, is the one that's based on the response that you want to give um, after you understand, um, you know, kind of how do we use your product the way we used to? Um, like, how do you use it to do that? How do you use the how do they use the product that you're recommending to them? To do the thing that they've always done using some other product, that's really the question that they're asking most of the time. Um, and, and if you can understand that question and articulate it to them in such a way that they're willing to, uh, to change or their model a little bit in order to gain the capabilities that they don't have using their current model, that's kind of the whole win right there is, uh, getting people to be confident enough about what they're going to do, that they're not afraid to do something they haven't done before. How do you deal in when you're in an opportunity with a sales rep? And there's always an a spectrum of how much risk you should be willing to accept. The most risky thing you can do is to is to is to propose a solution without actually understanding the context from a business perspective, without understanding what the end result of it is going to be. Like like let's say you walk in the door and they say, "We already know that we want to go with Google. Write mm-hmm. us a proposal for uh for that'll get us that'll get Google implemented for us within you know the next three months." So you go back to your desk and you write up a proposal that provides them exactly what they asked without understanding any context associated with it. That's extremely risky. Um, my risk portfolio means that that um, I've, I understand that a lot of times people um, are given marching orders to do a particular thing. So they focus in on that one task without understanding what it is and what it means. And then after you get through explaining to them everything that goes into implementing the platform that they said they wanted recommended that they were specific about mm-hmm. and prescriptive about and a hundred percent knew this is what they want. Mm-hmm. A lot of times what happens is they see the price tag associated with that and they, they, you know, you just wasted all your pre-sale effort because now they don't want to listen to you because they don't like the price tag. That's why it's very, very important to, you know, to lessen your risk by understanding, you know, the, the real motivation behind why they're asking you the question. Yeah, and in a way, that's also part of you protecting the client from themselves too, right? Because you're also likely to know a lot more about this than the average customer too. So you, I mean, by by just simply taking what they want and like you said, going back into their your desk and just writing up exactly what they said they wanted proposal without giving it a second thought or questioning it, 
you're kind of doing them a disservice too, right? You're not helping them in their due diligence. Exactly. And, 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 and like I said, um, you know, depending on who you're talking to, uh, sometimes you're talking to somebody who has a, uh, who has a, uh, I think you said it earlier, sometimes they have an agenda. Like sometimes the reason they said they want to learn, they, they want to, um, they want to implement Google in three months because they want to learn Google in three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't, they don't really want to implement, uh, they're not really implementing it for the right reasons. They're implementing it because they decided they want to, they want to build their skill set. And, and to your point, the, the the average IT worker will stay for two years. Mm -hmm. So you listen to some to a particular individual, build a whole tech stack that that person just wanted to build based on their personal interest, and then after that was done, they just simply left, and you're left with what might not have been the ideal stack for you too, right? Exactly. All right, and one final thing before we wrap up: mm -hmm. tips, tricks this customer engineering role it obviously has a very uh, strong technical side but it also puts the technical resources in a lot of non-technical settings situations and uh, scenarios right so any any recommendations that you do for people you know that are fairly technical but they want to go into this and how do you navigate you know these non-technical scenarios uh, from a you know, perspective of a personality, usually of technical people? I think the simple answer to your question is that you have to be, um, I, I've heard the phrase used, I'm trying to remember it right now. Um, you have to be a servant leader. Have you ever heard that phrase? Yeah, I've heard that phrase before. So basically you have to be the kind of person that's an individual that, you know, you have no problem taking uh, taking direction from somebody and and you know you ask if you let's say you're in charge of an opportunity and you're um, you know, you're managing that opportunity, somebody junior to you might have a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, a servant leader listens to the ideas and then makes the decision and then we move forward. Now they, 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 that doesn't mean that we don't have debate. Um, the truth of the matter is the the mature person who does what we do. It has a debate almost every single time because that's what you want. It's healthy to have a conversation, have three or four different alternatives for a customer to consider. But the goal is to pick one and then move on. So that is, I think, one of the biggest skills that people can have is that the ability to pick a solution, um, even if it's the one that they don't want, but because the team at large decided it was the better solution to move forward and help execute and make sure that everybody's successful um, because that I, that's really hard when you believe that something is should be one way and somebody else believes it should be another and then they uh, then then the solution that's picked is not yours it's really hard to get behind somebody else's solution after that it, it, it requires a little bit of uh, maturity in order to do that mm. yeah to be humble as well right listen yeah. to everybody open mind all right and uh, actually, this is the last thing I was going to ask you about is how do you keep yourself up to date? Not just technical, but obviously your role has a business side of it, has a communication side to it. How do you, you know, stay sharp on all these different angles that you got to play through? Pythian makes it easy, to be quite honest. They've, they've provided us with, um, you know, a bank uh, on an annual basis for money that we're going to have to spend 
on the different things that we might be interested in. So if we want to go to a, uh, you know, like a, like an event, you know, like that's, you know, like a, con a convention, we can go to a convention. If we want to go, if we want to attend training, we can attend training. They even have uh, special boosters that you can have uh, where if, if, if you want to have additional funding for things that you're interested in doing that the customer, that, co that the company may or may not be interested in and in paying for, um, you can meet their, their technical objectives by attaining some sort of certification that, that benefits them as a partner to one of the different uh, organizations like, a, like an AWS certification or a Microsoft certification or a Google certification. Um, I, to me, those are the things that, that are kind of in line with what you want to do. But since you do them in a timely fashion during the time period that they're asking you to, to do them, um, they get, you get a benefit out of it. Uh, the other thing I think that that's really important is that you understand your role. I mean, pre-sales is a is a is a is a customer-driven team sport. It really is. Um, as a customer engineer, you are the voice of the customer. Mm -hmm. But um, but all of that, you know, kind of goes in hand with the fact that from a solution architecture perspective, team, you know, I'm working with people like you, Warner. I mean, I'm working with people who are practice area needs leads who are the subject matter experts for whatever it is they do and in your case you know it's it's azure and it's it's data and analytics um you know i have to be able to listen to you i have to be able to take your leadership on things and recognize when 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 it's more appropriate for you to be leading the conversation that it is for me and then you know and then there's the last piece which is kind of partner integration and that is, you know, how well are we embedded with every with everybody that we're partners with? How well are we embedded with AWS or Google or Microsoft? Because we have to be, um, in order to be, you know, committed to the goals of that the customer wants us to achieve for them, we have to be able to represent, um, you know, our relationships with these other vendors uh, really well. We have to mm -hmm. understand their product set. We have to stay on top of it. So that goes back to what you were saying before, you know, kind of what a, what does a day in the life look like for me? Um, and, you know, a day in the life for me is really composed of three different things. There's the sales activities, there's the self-training, and then there's the post-sales activities. Um, all of those things combined in the environment that I just told you about uh, make a difference in whether or not you're really, really good as a CE. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian, uh, for shedding some light into the customer engineer role i'm sure that not only is it interesting from an outsider perspective to the industry but it's also a very valid uh career path nowadays of course for lots of people that want to crack into the it industry and like i said it's a role that really mixes both the technology and, and the human side really well so thank you again for joining us today and really walking us through everything related to customer engineering. Appreciate that, Brian. No problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for everybody else, we will be back with another Datascape episode. Usually we try to keep them every couple or three weeks apart. And until next time, thanks for listening again. Bye-bye. Navigating the Datascape.